Welcome in to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Matt Pree, Merrick Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to <coughs> April. Welcome to Monday. Uh, tomorrow, all three of us will be at spring football practice as it resumes uh, for the Oregon Ducks. Um, but today, we will discuss the mailbag. We'll open up the mailbag. We've got a couple questions. Um, a lot of it football focused, which I think we were all kind of expecting. Yeah, no, we, we kind of ran through our end of year reviews on basketball, pro, both basketball programs over the last week. And so the, the focus turns to football, <clears throat> um, perhaps the more uplifting of the options as well, I should note, considering that both basketball programs had a pretty disappointing season. And spring football is always kind of a, a fun, optimistic time. Um, but we're going to start with a recruiting question here from a frequent question asker at Robbie Parnes who asks, with the visitor list for the spring game continuing to grow, and by the way, the spring game, April 29th, which top 100 prospects do you give Oregon the best shot at landing? Also, who might not be realistic but is the highest on your wish list other than Raiola? Hashtag Otson Audibles. Thank you, Robbie, for leading the show today. Um, Matt, I'm going to kind of throw it your way just to start. What do we know about the spring game, possible visitor lists? Kind of, do we have a sense of the size of the scope of it um, and kind of maybe some names to know? Yeah, I think um, this list is going to expand. It's already somewhere around 15 or so guys that have confirmed um, to be here, double digits, I'll say, to, to confirm to, to be here right now. Um, a lot of them are 2025, 2026. There are 2024 players on campus. Uh, I, I think the biggest guy to to get and to and is more so to keep, and that's um, Anderson, the receiver, four star from Southern California. Um, he's flirted with Colorado a little bit. I think he's been visiting some other schools as well this past month. Um, it, it's all, he's an elite dude. And so to make sure that he stays committed is, is going to be a big one. Um, I think another guy that's going to be here, but not for the spring game. Um, it's the week before is Luke Moga. We talked about like last mm -hmm. week, quarterback. Um, this is maybe the highest rated guy that Oregon's got a really legit chance with. Um, he's from the state of Arizona. He's kind of blown up this winter, this past spring. You know, it wouldn't, he's not a, he's a three-star quarterback. It, it wouldn't surprise me though, in the slightest that, you know, if he shows up in fall for high school football season and he's a four-star. Um, so I know that's kind of going away from sign, you know, spring game type deal, but I think just the month of April in general, you're going to see a huge group of guys roll through. Um, maybe if I had to pick somebody that's going to be here this week, you know, that particular weekend that is <coughs> visiting Oregon, I would probably go with Elijah Rushing. He's a five-star. He's a top 10 player in the country. He's from the state of Arizona, from Tucson. I don't necessarily think Oregon is like the driver here, but they're in the picture. They're in the mix. Um, he's got everybody after him, though. But you could go a long ways with 
a recruiting class and having a chance at a top 10 class if you can get a big five-star to join the fold early. No idea if he's going to make a decision early. I doubt it. Um, but put your yourself in position with Elijah Rushing, who's been to, to Oregon a couple times. Um, do that, and you're, you've gone a long ways towards securing that top 10 class. Rushing was – that was my guy. He was the clear number one answer for me other than Dylan Raiola, who would be a fantastic addition to the class. But uh, same thing with Rushing, like every coming. school in the country. Well, Steve Wolfong reported a couple of weeks ago that he that he was coming, but uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. What do you have, Matt? You have something on that? No, I've just said that. I I, I thought I I read somewhere that it, it was like he's being skeptical now if he's going to finish his visits. I thought that was what Steve reported. Maybe I maybe I just read it wrong as if he's still going to visit those schools. But I thought I thought I, I saw Steve saying like. He, he may not even finish his visits now. I, regardless, I don't think he's in play for Oregon. Like, no, yeah, I don't really – yeah, I don't really think he's in play. I think Oregon will certainly uh, give their best efforts, but I don't yeah. think that that's going to be a realistic possibility. Uh, rushing, obviously, is you know is one of the best defensive line prospects in the country. Uh, he's been a guy that Oregon has recruited for multiple years now under, under Mario Cristobal and now Dan Lanning. Um, you watch his film. He's big. He's explosive. He's extremely athletic for a guy his size. He's also a West Coast kid or West Coast, quote unquote, as a guy out of Arizona. So uh, I think that's a huge perk for for Oregon that, you know, for one time you have this big old five star prospect and uh, distance can be a factor and distance can be in favor of, of you and uh, can get him onto campus quite often from a guy from Arizona. Uh, another guy who I know is visiting this month, I'm not sure if he's 100% visiting for the spring game, is Brandon Baker, offensive yep. lineman out of modern day. Uh, big offensive tackle down there who we had uh, Greg Biggins on the podcast. Eric and I talked to him. He mentioned that Brandon Baker was really high on Oregon, extremely high on Oregon with Adrian Clem as their offensive line coach. And now that Adrian Clem is gone, uh, it's good that Brandon Baker is coming back to visit. Uh, it'll be a huge weekend whenever he does visit for Elite Terry to get into his or get into his social circle and start talking to him. Uh, I'm sure he already has, but it'll be great to get him on campus and, and have Elite Terry, you know, diagnose the new plan that they have moving forward for a guy like Brandon Baker's talent. Um, you know, he's the premier offensive tackle on the West Coast this season. Uh, you look two classes ago, that was Josh Connerly Jr. Oregon landed him. Uh, I think that Oregon is in a good position to land Brandon Baker eventually. Who who knows where that recruitment takes off. But um, with the work that Adrian Clem did of just getting Brandon Baker to uh, sig- or, uh, understand the Oregon brand, understand where the program is headed, um, I think that's really put them in a good position with him. So he's maybe the most realistic of the unrealistic prospects. Um, but those are two my two guys. I think those are the easy answers as of now. We should note with Baker, um, Clem had to do some sales work, but there's also the history that ties to Oregon. His older brother Gary Baker played here um, for five mm-hmm. years, so there's a little there's a little history there yeah. that gives Oregon an inside track. Maybe um, I, I agree with Jared. Like I don't even think he's unrealistic. I think Oregon will be like I think Oregon's right in the middle of that one. Everything that, that we've kind of read and seen, so that, that'll be certainly a priority though. As Jared kind of outlined, that's the top offensive tackle tackle recruit. Um, in the country right now, <clears throat> and and certainly 
gosh, probably one of the two to three to four biggest targets on Oregon's board, regardless of position. So a name to know. Matt, anyone else that you want to mention before we move on to the next question? Um, I just think that they're going to get a couple of their other commits. Jackson Jones is going to be here um, for an official visit or unofficial visit. Excuse me. Um, their in-state prospects are all going to be here. Um, and then I, I think maybe one to know down the road, which could be pretty wild that we're even having this discussion. Um, mm -hmm. Keely Smith Jr. Yep. I think he's, he's a 2025 quarterback. Um, probably going to be here for the spring game. I've been talking with his dad um, a while ago, and they mentioned that they were probably coming. Um, I don't know if it's official yet or not, but that would be interesting. And mm -hmm. the the storylines of that would be pretty crazy. Yeah, having a legacy recruit of that At caliber, that position. Yeah, exactly. That's the same name. The dad was pretty darn like remarkable as a player, pretty renowned amongst like Oregon's fan base. That would be really, we haven't really seen that at Oregon. That would be, that would be an interesting one. And, and gosh, you hope for his sake that, um, you know, he's able to make his own decision in this recruitment. I know Keeley probably is dying for him to be an Oregon uniform. I would imagine he's probably grown up, uh, you know, rooting for and watching Oregon, but that will be recruitment as Matt indicated pretty far ways off in terms of reaching a conclusion, but one to, to monitor. Uh, isn't it interesting that I, I think the recruiting process has shifted again, where five, six years ago it was, hey, you've got to go and start recruiting underclassmen. Like you, you can't focus strictly on one year. And now I think it's almost to the point where it's, it used to be talk to these underclassmen, but still spend a majority of your time on the current class. Yeah. I, I think they're, they're recruiting equally as hard almost whether it's Oregon or just college football in general, underclassmen as they are upperclassmen. Um, and the amount of prospects that we're going to see roll through Eugene for that spring game. And for all of spring, I think, um, I mean, as we've been recording this podcast, I know it's, it's not a top 50 recruit or whatever, but you know, 2024 wide receiver, you know, he's a three-star prospect. He has an offer from Morgan. Malachi Durant just tweeted out, hey, I'm spending spring break in Eugene um, for, you know, duck, duck, duck emojis. Like, just the amount of players that are going to roll through Eugene, whether they're 2024 kids or they're underclassmen in 2025, 2026, or even 2027, in the next 30 days is going to be fascinating. And I just think it's interesting to see how it's shifted again where – if you're not recruiting both classes, you know, groups heavily, you're going to get left behind. And this is a huge, this is a huge month for Oregon in 2024, but also to set the stage for 2025 and maybe even 2026. This is why our good friend Marshall Malco has a job. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Very I, much so. There are so many prospects to know, and like you throw into it, man. I think you're right in that you know you, it's a split between upperclassmen and underclassmen. Well, how about transfer portals and, and having to be involved yeah. in recruiting them? I know you won't be tripping any of them out here during spring because you know they. I guess they could theor theoretically visit, but they couldn't you know enter the portal again until what is it a couple of days after spring ends? But yeah, no, it is it is wild how many prospects. And whenever we do have Marshall on the show again, which I hope we get sometime this summer, 
I don't know if we've ever asked like how many prospects does he have to know at one time and like familiarize himself with and what kind of confusion there might be of, okay, is it that say for, for instance, maybe there's a player with the same name from two different parts of the country. I mean, that's the type of stuff you'd be running up against um, with, which is much work as you have to do on the recruiting angle. So yeah, no, uh, recruiting ever stops. We'll have full coverage of that, including over these next couple of weeks when we're out at practice, I would imagine. There'll be some recruits out there. We'll do our best to identify and kind of uh, inform who's here for spring. So um, good one from Robbie to start. We're going to go now to a question from A underscore FOTEF17. What are your thoughts on Oregon's backup quarterback situation? Um, this is kind of an interesting one. I think we've addressed this a little bit. Um, it may be more than a little bit, but uh Obviously, everybody knows what's going on with Bo as a starting quarterback. There's there's no questions there. Um, this is, by the way, the first time in a while we'll enter a spring without really any questions about who the quarterback will be. Um, you have to go back to what when it was Justin Herbert 2019. So it's been about four years, which is kind of wild. Um, so that part is, is interesting. And then the backups, like, like, hey, we really don't know, by the way, much of anything about one of them, Austin Nova said. So it's hard for me to have too many thoughts other than physically he looks like he's got a ways to go. I think we've all kind of chimed in on that, you know, needs to add some weight. I don't think he's somebody who can really help right now. Um, sure, he can maybe get tossed into a game situation if needed and, and contribute, but I think you'd like to avoid that. And then Ty Thompson, this is probably the only reason we want to answer this question is because he's just such an interesting character to talk about. What is he and, and what kind of strides can he make? Because physically, I will say it over and over again, he checks all the boxes of what you want. It's just some of the processing stuff and the in-game stuff, which we haven't loved. But I also think it's kind of like, you know, when you only play a certain number of snaps in a season and they're all in mop-up duty, and for whatever reason, they happen over and over. Every time out there, it seems like something goes wrong. The sense from the fan base of those watching regularly is like he's not very good. So... I mean, what he's shown in games hasn't been incredible, but I still certainly haven't given up on him. Now to like the question of how would you, I feel if Bo Nix isn't available, the answer is not very good. Um, but I would also question how many teams in the country would say, I feel amazing if my starting quarterback goes down. Because in the era of, of, of the uh, uh, you know transfer portal, it's really hard to just carry like two to three competent quarterbacks at once. And I think Oregon has a competent starting quarterback and they have a really, really high-end physical tool prospects in Thompson, but we don't really know if there's a guy after Bo who can frankly win you football games. And I don't think that's a great situation, but it's not different than or too remarkable compared to most I think out there right now. Yeah, if there is a school that tells you that they're okay with their backup quarterback coming into the game, that means that they don't have a starting quarterback that they rely on. So I think it's pretty simple as that. I don't think there's a lot to answer here. Uh, Oregon's backup quarterback situation is the same as it was last year, just with Oz and Novasad. Uh, Ty Thompson's the two who Eric just went through, ha hasn't been great in games, but physically and you know, had all the hype as a recruit coming out of high school. Um, he's there. He, he seems to be fine in practice. We've heard pretty good things about him in practice. He just uh, hasn't lived up to the hype during any of the games that he's played in. And they've all been, like Eric said, during mop-up time or like the first play after halftime against, uh, I forgot what team it was at Washington. Um, no, it wasn't Washington. I can't remember what it was. But, uh, you know, just random random games like that where he's gotten in, uh, he really hasn't had the chance to, I think, personally control the offense. I think it's all been very scripted. 
um, and just been really safe plays. Maybe that's because it's on purpose that they don't want Ty throwing down the ball down the field, but I don't know. And I don't think, frankly, unless it's a coach that's listening, I don't think a lot of us know whether or not um, their confidence level in, in Ty is to just never let him throw the ball during a game. But yeah, and then Novasad is just there. Uh, this is a year of development. This is a year of learning. This is a year of needing to add weight. Um, he's a tall, he's a tallish kid, but he's really skinny. He's going to need to add some more weight, some more muscle in order to play at the college level. Uh, I think this conversation is better suited like for next year what the backup quarterback situation is after Bo Nix leaves. For now, it's Bo Nix and then everybody else. And then Ty Thompson is on the top of the list of everybody else. So and I think it's more or less the same thing as, uh, as we had last season. I, I think this is a spring where we, we need to find out what Ty Thompson can do, what see what Novasad can do so that you have a, a clear idea kind of not maybe clear but you have a good idea of where you're at going into fall camp and whether you need to go after a blue chip you know we've talked about this a blue chip five-star quarterback if you can get them um to to maybe jump those two or compete with those two or do you go portal do you go both um and frankly like i i think i you, you have to commend Ty Thompson for sticking through it because so often we see guys just bounce like the first time that they don't have success. Um, I think the fan base has shifted from being fully in support of Ty to now not really having the confidence in Ty fair or not. And I think it's unfair because we really haven't seen him in game situations, you know, in situations where he's asked to succeed or play with, the normal unit has he looked good when he's played no he hasn't but i still don't think we really know what he can do yet and i, I think that's maybe the biggest concern to eric's point like yeah if he goes if Bo goes down then like oregon's in a world of hurt here um because you don't know what you have with any of these guys and so i think it's all about information gathering and trying to see how many game situations you can put these two or one of them in just so you have a better understanding of what you have, where you have it uh, going into spring football 2024 after 2023 season's over. Yeah, I agree with the, by the way, just last thought, just the, on the tie thing, it's commendable. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, and I get, it's funny because we're patting a kid on the back for not transferring after three years or whatever, two years, but in like today's portal world, like that's not, like it's not that infrequent that that's the case where a kid shows up and, doesn't work out right away and he's at another school across the country, you know, in a blink of an eye. So for Ty to be here and as as Matt said, gosh, what a what a turn of events in terms of just the fan perception and, and the way that they have gone from supporting him kind of blindly as the preferred quarterback over over Anthony, um, Brown. Anthony Brown back in twenty one to last year he gets in a couple of times. And again, remember during the offseason there were definitely some we want Ty over Bo. There were some frustration from the fan base in general that they brought in Bo Nix. I remember we did, um, uh, what did we do? One of those live shows, live streams, and it, people were like, why, why why, are they adding Bo? Like, we want it to be Ty. We want to develop a player and see it go. And and then this after this last season, those probably, I don't know if I'd say it's the same folks, but a lot of people are now echoing the, he stinks, we don't want him, we'll be better off if he left kind of crowd. So, I mean, it's, 
it's a big year for him. And the ultimate thing that's probably tough is it's a bit, it feels like a big year, but probably not going to have a great idea of his development unless he does get into some games on Saturdays. Um, and so this kind of discussion we're having right now of like, is he good? Is he bad? Will probably be ongoing until the fall of 2024, assuming he sticks around. So um, I guess buckle up. We're going to put this the Ty Thompson train. It'll be rolling and it could be a rocky ride. Well, you, you brought up something that like we're so quick to to make these swooping assumptions that these guys are going to be really good. We did the fan base did the same thing with Khalil Ware for, for Oregon basketball. And instead of just letting guys show up and we get a we get a sense of where they're at and we get a sense of kind of what their games are like before making these swooping decisions that these guys need to be a starter as a true freshman at, at, at the most difficult position in all of sports, which is quarterback. Like yeah. that that's such a big ask. And so few people do it and then excel at a high level. Um, I mean, what would our perceptions be if of Ty Thompson right now, if no one had put those lofty expectations that he was going to beat out, you know, uh, Anthony Brown to be the starter uh, as a true freshman and instead just said like, let's see where he's at in two years. Would, would, would we have any kind of concern with him right now? Like, Hey, like he's, he's shown youth. He's, you know, the ex- inexperience of, of youth. He, he's got some things to improve on, but like he's got a rocket. He's mobile. Uh, he seems to be a good teammate. I mean, Bo Nix was on one of his social accounts this past week saying like the person when he leans to you know when he has struggles on the field is ty thompson like that tells me something about who ty thompson is as a person as a player as a teammate like yeah i I don't think our perception would be negative towards ty if we just didn't carry these like insane and when i say we i'm not saying us three but just like the perception that this guy had to be a starter on a power five team competing for a conference championship day one and because he didn't do it now all of a sudden he's not good like so much so much of our perceptions well, could be is, changed if we just took an easy approach to it yeah of course but then we all wouldn't have jobs because uh <laughs> our company is the one that dictates who has the hype coming out of high school and that's exactly well, what that's not, Thompson had. Yeah. no but like everybody's expectations is is for him to come in and, and do so well because recent in recent memory we've had really good quarterbacks come out of high school and compete and sure. start at the collegiate level you know, like a trevor lawrence like a justin fields i know that those guys are you know first round talents but you hope as a fan that your highly touted quarterback out of high school is going to come in and take over a, a, a program that needs a quarterback which was oregon that's what uh Texas is hoping for an Arch Manning. That's what they hoped for in Quinn Ewers, too, last season, who looked pretty good before he got hurt. Um, it's what all of these schools look for. And when they don't, they are going to collapse on whoever that poor quarterback is because they didn't live up to expectations, which is unfortunately just how it goes uh, in today's college football world, where uh, if they don't do anything after two years, yeah, then there's going to be some expectations that hey, you should move on and leave the school. Uh, if Ty Thompson were like a three-star recruit and looked at the way he did and threw the ball the way he did, um, we'd all be jumping for joy, hoping that he can turn himself into a starter for year three or year four uh, in the 2024 season or 
hoping that uh, we can see him jump into the game and see what he can do as the three-star kid from, you know, let's, let's continue that he's from Arizona, just the three-star kid that Oregon has matured and has taught and has learned under Bo Nix. But it's a different set of expectations when he's a high four-star near five-star coming out of high school. I mean, I'm just looking at the, like, the 2022 rankings. And I'm not trying to discredit, like, five-star shouldn't be good. Like, that's not the point. But, like, last year's rank, you know, the 2022 class wasn't particularly special at quarterback. Um, but you look at the group, and only one of these guys basically started, you know, in the top 20 of the rankings. And that was Kate Klubnik, who had to eventually – replaced DJU midway through the season um, or towards the end of the season. I, I just, I don't know. I, I just think like the, we saw such a run in about like a seven or eight year span of every year there being one or two really, really, really good freshman quarterbacks that show up and they're really special. And then that just kind of created this notion that like, just because you're a five-star now, you automatically have to be able to replicate what one or two guys every year did. And Ty Thompson didn't, so what? Like maybe, maybe he turns it on. I don't know. Like, I think there's just as equally a chance that he he's not good in 2024 as there is that he is good in 2024. But who knows? And I don't know. I, I'm, I think I'm gonna change my perspective on him just because we place too lofty on expectations on a freshman to be someone that you know doesn't happen every single year. And kind of to that point, Matt, that is, by the way, why I've shifted. I just think since I think Kingsley was the one that really marked. I did the same thing with Kingsley. Right. We both were kind of like Kingsley has a chance to start right away. And the guy was out the door by October. And I've kind of since moved back with, I mean, you look at this year and even last year with Josh Connerly and just kind of going, okay, I don't want to predict a freshman is going to start and be a star right away. And if, if it turns out he is, that's awesome. But the reality is even the highest rated guys oftentimes take some time to start. Even Kayvon Thibodeau wasn't an opening day starter and didn't start until midway through the season. The Penne Sewells are often um, the exception and not the rule. So um, I, I do think just to that point, Matt, I think there is definitely validity of the conversations we have do in some way inform fan conversations. So I'm going to give sure. ourselves a, a little bit of credit for that and also mean that there's a little responsibility to not – assume a guy is going to be really great off the way. Cause I bet if we went back and pulled um, our podcast clips from when Ty arrived here, I don't think we were saying, gosh, he's going to start right away. But I do think we were like, man, there's a lot of upside here, a lot of excitement and, and right. maybe he can push to start. So I think even we can kind of correct the way we go about presenting young players when they arrive. So. All right, let's take a quick break and we come back. We'll uh, wrap up the podcast. All right, welcome back to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Matt Preem, Jared Mack, Eric Scopel on the show. Uh, a couple questions in. Uh, we've got one or two more to go. Can't remember. We've got one, Matt. It's a little bit of a quick Monday okay. here. Um, and it's a question from another familiar name. At Prince Puddles asks, is this the best wide receiver room in Oregon history? Depth of talent standout talents like Franklin Holden and young guys like Dickie and Casper hard to think of a better wide receiver room than this one. Am I wrong? Um, I think he is wrong. Um, 
just like off the top of my head here, 2002 had Sammy Parker, had Keenan Howry, and had Demetrius Williams, who are three of the school's all-time five all-time leaders in receiving yards and receptions. So I think that's probably the at this point, um, you know, kind of the high water mark, and it's probably hard to hit. Um, I'd also all add those guys like, were NFL players too. Yeah, and I think uh, all of those were top. I can't remember. I, I'm not going to try to. I'm going to date myself because it's been a long time. Like, these are 20 years ago. I'm trying to think of where they were drafted. I think they were all like top four or five round draft picks. But these guys were drafted in like 2003. So um, I, I don't. I'm not going to go too far out on the limb with trying to remember their draft positioning. Um, but like, yeah. So I, I don't think first up. I don't think it's the best. Now, um, I'd even say like on paper, like there have been some groups that I think were deeper in the past. Now, you could convince me top tier talent if Dickey is ready right away Franklin's ready right away and Holden stuff works out like best case and we like what we see at Tez and Hudson that could be a really special group um but I yeah I don't think so I think that's a stretch because I don't even know if I think this group is better than like like how many where, where does this group stack up for you this is like the third best position group on offense to me behind quarterback and running back I could see that um yeah, no, I don't. I don't agree with it either. Um, uh, we have we have had this literal conversation on this very same podcast two years ago, with true <laughs> freshman Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin, yeah, David Williams, uh, Micah Pittman, uh, uh, Isaiah Johnny Crocker, John Josh Delgado, Johnson, Johnny Johnson, yeah. Jalen Red. Yep. We on paper, everybody who was an Oregon fan thought that that was the best wide receiving group Oregon has had uh, in the history of their program. And they went out and threw the ball six times. So it didn't turn out well. Um, I think that this wide receiver room is extremely talented. They've got the top tier talent and Troy Franklin, who could certainly work himself into like a day one, probably a day two draft pick. Uh, Jurion Dickey, you know, think, you know, we have the five star uh, hype around him as well. So we all expect him to do well. But Treshawn Holden was a, was a good player at Alabama. Uh, Tez Johnson was really good at Troy as a slot receiver. Chris Hudson has had some good moments here at Oregon. Uh, and then you have other true freshmen like Ashton Cozart, who was another highly rated recruit, who uh, by all accounts is pretty good. And then Kyle Casper in his sophomore season. So there's a lot of talent on paper, but uh, I don't think it's the best of all time. I mean, on paper, it looks great, but so did that 2021 team. And I would say on paper, that 2021 team looks better than this team. I would say no. Um, in a large part, Eric, <clears throat> excuse me, Eric brought up probably the group I was going to go with as number one. But a counter to that would be maybe 2014. I was looking um, at that too. That's, a, that's another good one, Matt. Yeah. Keenan Lowe, Charles Nelson, Devin Allen. You also had Dwayne Stanford, Darren Carrington. Um, your tight ends had Farrell Brown, Johnny Munt, Evan Bayless. Um, all three of those guys made the NFL. Carrington was on track before he got suspended from Oregon and eventually booted. Um, I think Dwayne Stanford had a stint. Keenan Lowe had a stint. Devin Allen's currently in the NFL with some kind of a stint. Um, that was a really special unit. Um Another one that I would probably go back and look at is the year before, um, 2013. Um, that group had a lot of the same guys, 
on and on top of that had Josh Huff and Braylon Addison um, on the unit as well. Um, Byron Marshall was, I should note, Byron Marshall was a receiver in 2014 as well for Oregon. Um, so I, I would say no. Um, this season's group, though, like on paper, has the potential to to be a really good unit because across the board, basically, are four and five star caliber guys at at positions. You know, aside yep. from you know the occasional Tez Johnson or the occasional Justice Slow, if maybe he works his way into the rotation, and even he, by some services, was rated as a four star. Um, so. I think on paper, like this group has the potential to maybe put themselves into that discussion, but that's such a lofty ask for a group of, you know, Troy Franklin's established. I think Hudson's established. Um, Tez is established, but at a different school. Holden's established, but at a different school. And then everybody else, like, you know, Franklin's really the only one that's put up really good numbers. Tez did it, but did it at a, at a group of five school. Um, so you, you have to, you have to acknowledge it. But how does that translate to to this level? Is it one for one, or is he going to lose some? Is he going to be used as much? Does he have to play as much because the talent he's playing around is better? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe he does play as much as he did at at Troy this season. But there's really only one guy that you can say is like put up really good stats at the highest level of college football. And I feel like if you're going to be in that discussion of greatest of all time, you got to have more than one dude. I don't know what the number is, but you got to have more than one guy that's had like a really special season. So yeah, that would be, that was kind of the counter I was trying to make earlier, and, and I I agree. Like if you look at the school's all time lists, which again, uh, kind of interesting to look through just in general. But you look at 2002. I mentioned that when you had three guys in your top five. Um, 2013, Matt mentioned it, had Addison and Huff. Those are two more guys in the top eight. That's a that's just like the depth of what you're talking about. I think where you could, with this year's group, get um, to a point where you could say that they need to be considered is if Franklin has a super special year. And, like, let's just be honest. Like, if you go look at the single season lists, it's kind of amazing. Like, if he has 1,200 yards receiving, that's the school record. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not that – that's 100 yards per game in a 12-game regular season. And if they play – 13, 14, maybe 15, probably not, maybe 15 games, then you'd be looking at like, he just has to have like 70 yards per game to get there. So like, I, I, I think there's probably a decent chance Franklin puts up one of the better individual single season receiving lists because you look at the, the, the stats here, like it's, it's not that lofty of a, of a track to pull through, um, you know, about 75 receptions, 1200 yards, 13 touchdowns. And and there you go. That's, that's the school record basically across the board of what I just mentioned. So um, I think it's possible Franklin puts up a really big year, but to the point we made earlier, like none of the other guys are really proven here. I, I Hudson's had some success. He's had some moments. I know we're going to get some comments about why we're overlooking him, um, but that's just every podcast now. Um, but like in general, like the other guys who haven't proven too much. And while I want to be champion Dickie and Casper as exciting young players, I also want to be careful to the point we made earlier of where we're not like, gosh, Dickie and Casper are amazing going into this season. And then neither of them have much of a role. And suddenly we're like, what's wrong with Dickie and Casper? Because that seems to be the trend that we go through when we promote players as being amazing and expecting them to just tear it up their first year. And then when they don't, they become, um, 
afterthoughts. So, but yeah, no, I, I think we're all in agreement. This isn't probably going to be the best single season group Oregon's had, but like maybe there's a world where Bo Nix has a Heisman trophy caliber season and throws the ball all over the yard and sets school records. And we're, we have to, you know, egg on our face. Like, yeah. Should they even be trying to throw it all over the place? Because you have Bucky and Noah who are very, very good at carrying the football while running. Um, Should we call – we should call Mario back and say, hey, Mario, (laughs) we got all these weapons that you don't need to use. I mean, I understand, like, yes, you want to throw the football. But, like, to Eric's point, like, if – should be should Bo Nix be throwing the ball more than 40 times a game? I I don't think so. But the guys that you have at running back. Oh no. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely That's not. A lot. I don't uh I did Bo Bo probably threw over 40 times like twice last year, right? Like definitely against Washington State because they absolutely needed to. But yeah. Um no, I mean they, it's it's a really great offensive attack. And I'm sure we'll get into this over the course of spring ball and what Will Stein brings to the table, but uh, yeah, as long as that offensive line holds up with a lot of newcomers, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll be able to run, they'll be able to throw, they'll be able to do whatever they want, just like last season. Um, I think it'll be interesting to the end of Eric's point um, to come back and look maybe at this question specifically and just be like, okay, these are these are the wide receiver years that were during X era, so the Will Stein, Kenny Dillingham era, compared to what they were in the Cristobal era, who had similar probably range of talent, and then what it was during the Chip Kelly era. And just to see um, the disparity and how much Oregon is throwing the ball now versus then, and uh, just the the level of talent that they're using. Because I I think that Dillingham's and hopefully what Stein will bring to the table, I think their offenses are going to be probably run first, but a a lot of easy passes, a lot of yards after the catch, um, and a couple deep shots a game. And I think it'll be uh, something that Bo Nix doesn't need to throw 40 times, probably doesn't even need to really throw like 35 or more times, um, just because it'll just be a lot of easy throws and a lot of easy yards. What do you got for me, Eric? Bo threw it uh, 40 times twice. You named one of them Washington State. The other was against Oregon State. Um, and then on average, it takes uh, yeah. about, about 32 passes per game. It was over 30, though, for about half. That makes sense. Yeah, I, to Matt's point, they don't. They could probably win if they did do a Mario Cristobal approach and then let only let Bo throw fifteen times. Uh, it just depends so, how the defense would do on the other side of the ball. <laughs> Bo, and, and Bo I, threw I'm it also, thirty-five times. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say the only other point. It's a. It's a. Go. You go ahead. I'll. I'll bring it up after. I, I was just going to say thirty-five times attempts in a, in a game in a game this past season he only did it five times so like let's set the number there like yeah because if it to, to get to to get to the like years where you have these receivers that put up just insane numbers and you have more than one do it you got to have games where it's like the oregon state game or the washington state game because Against OSU, Coda went for 136 and Franklin went for 78. And then your third leading receiver was Ferguson with 53 yards. Um, and then against mm-hmm. the Cougars, Franklin went for 137 and Coda went for 84. And then Hudson had 72. So, like, to get these numbers where you're you're seeing just really special years from more than one guy, you got to throw it a lot. And I just don't think it's in Oregon's best interest to be throwing – 
even 35 times a game. The only point I was going to make up, and I, by the way, I, I in agreement on all of this in terms of what's in their best interest. The only reason I would pause a little bit is just how good is the offensive line going to be? I know we've been high on it. Sure. But I think last year so much of that was reliant upon, gosh, we've got some real dudes up front that are experienced. I know that the draft stock isn't fantastic, and gosh, it's possible that none of them get taken, or if they do get taken, it's right at the end. Um, but there were at least experienced guys this year's group probably has more talent, we think, but certainly less experience together. And then I did want to throw one Jared's way. Um, Matt and I both kind of had some groups that we thought of right away. Was there a group that, like, like when you thought of the best group you've seen at Oregon, was there one that jumped right to your head, Jared? I'm just curious because Matt and I obviously have been, been watching it a little bit longer. I'm just curious, what was your barometer there? In terms of just, like, unbelievable wide receiver core like just yeah at oregon what was like is there one that you're like that was the best i remembered or is that yeah it's probably either the 2014 or 2015 team um i mean those were just dudes they just but i mean it's hard to compare because none of those guys were great nfl players and right for a lot of what I believe, or what I think of when I look back at college wide receiver cores, I'm like, all right, how did they do in the NFL? Like you look back at the Miami teams and like the, the '80s and the early OOS, um, those were elite guys in college and elite guys in, in the NFL. Um, but granted, that was like the whole Chip Kelly thing, where they had really great guys in college and then not a lot of unbelievable talent in the NFL, uh, at least from an offensive perspective. But those teams in the, the 2014, 2015, especially with Vernon Adams, um, those were some of the guys that I, I thought were, were really great receivers for Oregon, but uh, they were a lot of uh, short yardages, yards up to catch, uh, similar to what Oregon has been doing the last two seasons. Um, so I, I guess that's it for me, specifically. All right, then I guess that does it for us here on the podcast. <laughs> All right, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting the questions. As always, we'll be back at practice on Tuesday with a Wednesday breakdown of what we learned uh, from day three of 15 total days of spring football uh, during this season. 13 of those days will come during April. So big month for Oregon football on the practice field. We'll be there to cover it all. So that will be on the show next. Until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.